Anybody like to watch any movies? Anybody love movies? Anybody love sports? Anybody love sports? I don't. Uh, <laughs> um, but there was a movie that came out in about 1986. It was a basketball movie called Hoosiers. Has anybody seen it? Um, the only reason that I remember it and the reason that I love it is because it had a really good story. And the story of Hoosiers is about this basketball team from the backwoods of Indiana. And they end up going through this tournament and they win every game. And they finally show up to this huge city. They're in the, the state playoffs to play the championship game. And uh, something interesting happens. Though they have this confidence that they've been winning all these games, they finally show up to this huge city. They're in this huge arena with all these people, and this team starts freaking out. And so the coach realizes, he's going, man, I got to remind them of the basics. I got to remind them, like, we should have confidence because we've stuck to the basics. We've practiced for this moment. We've prepared for this moment. We've done free throw shots over and over and over. We've done passing drills. We've done all these things. And he's trying to think about how he can motivate his team. And so what he does is he takes this tape measure. And right before all these people were out there, is he grabs his tape measure and he begins to measure the basketball court. And then he measures the distance from the hoop to the free throw line. And, and, and he says this. He goes, listen, team. He says, here's what we got to remember. It might be a different arena, but it's the same game. It's the same game. And he begins to measure it. And he goes, look, it's the same size court. It's the same size basketball goal. It may be a different arena, but we have to go back to the basics of remembering everything that we've been practicing. And, and I found this movie when I was thinking about this sermon and this message is because I feel like a lot of times in our life, we enter into these new arenas of life. Maybe you step into a new relationship. Maybe you step into a new job. Maybe you step into a new calling that God has for you, a new season. And there's a moment of excitement. There's a moment of, okay, I think I can do this. But you step into this new arena and you go, oh my God, how are we going to do this? You ever had a dream seated in your heart or you felt like God told you to do something and then you finally step out in it and you go, I think this was a mistake because I'm, now I'm terrified. And you know what I'm talking about? What I want to encourage you this morning is no matter what season, arena, whatever you're walking to in life, if you can hold to the fundamentals, if you can hold to the basics and the foundations of your faith, the truth is you really can accomplish and do a whole lot more than you think you can. We're going to read a story today in Joshua, and uh, we see a very similar situation in this story. Moses, who has been the leader of the children of Israel for 40 years, okay, so he's the one that led them out of Egypt. You see, he, he freed them from the grips of, of Pharaoh, and he leads them through all these miraculous moments. Um, like they see the, the Red Sea parted. They literally see food come down from heaven. They see water come out of a rock. They have all these incredible moments with this leader. And God had promised them that they were going to move into a new land, and he calls it the promised land. Now the problem is the children of Israel have been circling in the desert for 40 years. And they're on the cusp. They can literally, within eyesight distance, begin to see the promised land. Like, all right, we're about to fulfill all the promises that God has for us. We're about to walk into this new land. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Moses dies. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the people were like, oh, like this guy who's been leading us for 40 years, and he's the one that's been communicating to God and giving us the instructions. He's dead. All of a sudden, God has to remind them of the basics. He has to remind them of going, hey, listen, 
I know that leader is dead. I know he's gone. I know the promises that I have for you, I want you to hold to them because they still stand. We still have to go back to the basics. He's going to remind them. We're going to see it in just a moment. We're going to read it. He's going to remind them when you walk through territories that see difficult, that seem difficult, that seem impossible, that seems like you can never make it and you can never get through it, God's going to remind them of who he's been in the past to them. He's going to remind them that I'm the same God that parted the Red Sea. I'm, I'm the same God that allowed manna to come down from heaven. I'm the same God that when you struck the rock, the water came out of it. So let's pick it up. We'll read this story in Joshua 1, verse 1 through 2. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. So up until this point, like Joshua is just Moses' accountant, his assistant. He did all the administrative stuff. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites across the Jordan River, into the land that I am giving to them. So, so God says, all right, Joshua, new leader. Now you're going to lead them to the promised land. Now let me just give you a little bit of context here so you can kind of get introduced to who Joshua is. When they finally come up to the cusp of the promised land, Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. He says, go scope out the land and see if there's any challenges that we're going to have to face. All 12 of them see in this land that the grapes are bigger than any other grape they've ever seen. The fruits are larger than any other fruit they've ever seen. And they also begin to realize that the people are larger than they've ever seen. They're giants. It's a territory of giants. They're much stronger, much larger. So all the spies come back to report to Moses about this land. And 10 of them say, it's impossible. There's no way. I know God has promised us this land, but what lays on the other side of that land is totally going to defeat us, and there's no way that we should even think about going to battle with them. But there's two people that stand out in this story, and it's Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb and Joshua say, listen, yes, it's a challenge. And and yes, we're going to be up against some things that are much bigger than us. But... If we can go back to the basics, and if we can remember how faithful God has been to us in the past, we can do this. So that's who Joshua is. So reading in Joshua uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, it says this, I promise you what I promised Moses. So this is God speaking to Joshua. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. Or abandon you. Now here, here's, here's what God is saying to Joshua in this moment. He's saying, listen, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Now why is this significant and why is this important? Because I think today, tragically what has happened is most of us derive our confidence from the wrong things. Most of us derive our confidence in the people that are right in front of us. How many know, let's just, if we're just being honest for a moment, it's much easier to find approval from other people than it is from God. Why is that? Because we can see them. We can touch them. We can smell them. We, we can have somebody else look us in the face and say, you're awesome, you're amazing, you can get through this. How many know, but we also live in a culture where we wrongly derive our confidence from the wrong things, and it's actually wrecking our culture. So what, what ends up happening is, as I shared this in the first service, is we falsely begin to pump up all these kids and these children and other people with a false confidence. So, so this plays out in our culture. It's one of the things that just drives me absolutely insane. So when a baseball team loses, everybody still gets a trophy because you showed up because you played the game, right? Like the, the other day, or a few weeks, a few months ago, my son was playing basketball, and uh, he played for his school, Esterwood, and Esterwood faced off against Midland. And um, 
they lost so bad, like so bad, 42 to zero. <laughs> and this Esterwood team is like, man, we, this was horrible. And, and the truth is, those kids got so, like, they didn't remember the fundamentals because they were losing, they were getting frustrated, they were yelling at each other. They were, it was just, a, it was a disaster. And, you know, oftentimes in those moments, like, sometimes what we believe in our culture now is to look at all those kids and be like, you did great, you played your heart. What, what sometimes they need to hear is the truth. You were bad. <laughs> and, and we need to learn how to get better. We need to learn how to get better. Because how many of you know that's not how the real world works? In the real world, people take risks, and sometimes we fall. Sometimes we fail, and sometimes it doesn't work out. So we have to learn the wisdom of when we fail, do we have the courage and the confidence to get back up? When we fail, can we go back to the basics and remember that God has been faithful to us? I want you to know something. Confidence does not come from looking inside yourself. Confidence comes from knowing that a God who has always been with you will remain with you. Confidence does not come from inside. Joshua 1.7 says, Be strong and very courageous. This is, yet again, God speaking to Joshua. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you'll be successful in everything that you do. I want you to know something. What is God telling Joshua in this moment? He's telling him, he said, listen, if you just be faithful, just like Moses was faithful, if you trust me, even when you don't see the path forward, how many know oftentimes this is what faith looks like? God just says, go, and you go, I don't know what that's going to look like, God. And he goes, I know. That's why it's called faith. <laughs> and then you go, and then God meets you, and then you keep going, and he keeps meeting you. How many know it's easy to obey when you see a clear path? It's a challenge to obey when you don't see a way forward. It's easy to obey when God says, here, do this, this, and this, and this is what the outcome is going to be. So let me set up this scene that we're about to read. So Joshua is about to get his first task from the Lord. They're about to receive the promised land, the land that God has been promising them for 40 years. And so God tells Joshua, get ready for battle. You're about to go into a battle. You're about to fight for your land, for your, your promised land. Now, there's a few issues that begin to arise. They have to go and fight the most fortified city in the world, which is Jericho. The walls are so thick that you can actually ride two cars on, 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 on the walls. They're so thick. So Joshua, the night before, he's got all this pressure on him as a leader, right? So all these people are looking to me. I've got to go out. I've got to prove that I can lead these people. So the night before the actual battle is about to take place, how many know that dude's got some anxiety, right? He's like, he's, he's, not, he's not sleeping at night. You ever had a big decision at night and like you can't sleep, you toss and turn because you got a big decision to make the next day? This is Joshua. So watch this. It says that he goes in, he sneaks into the city of Jericho and he's right up against the wall. And he's going like, man, these walls are so thick. And I know God told us that we're going we're gonna to conquer this. And I just, man, these are massive. How are we going to do this? Now, when you sneak into something, how many know you're a little on edge already? Because you know that you shouldn't be there. So don't repeat this. If there's any police officers in here, don't report me for this, okay? I'm, I'm just kidding. This was a long time ago. I was a young juvenile. So anyway, a long time ago in Jennings, when we first moved there, my wife and I were looking for a house, 
And um, I have this tendency to just be a little curious about some things. And my wife hates house shopping with me because whenever we go look at houses, like I'm the guy that's like, is the back gate open? And I'll go in the backyard and she's like, get, out, get back in the car, you know. So we were, we were in Jennings, we were looking for a house, and Dustin, who's here, who, who leads our youth, he was with me at the time, and we're looking at this house, and I'm like, man, this house is awesome, we're going around the front yard, we're looking at the backyard, and I'm like, man, I wonder what the inside looks like, I'm peering in the windows, and I feel the doorknob, and it's open, and I was like, oh man, we can just look at this real quick, so I go inside, and I start looking around, and Dustin's like, dude, 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 we gotta get out of here, dude, we gotta get out, we're going to jail, we're going to jail, so I'm looking around, we go upstairs, we walk upstairs. Just kid you not, I hear the toilet flush. And I was like, oh my God. And you know, you think in that moment, you're like, just creep out of the room. And I'm like, Dustin, the toilet flush, let's run. <laughs> we get in the car, we take off. Joshua is on edge up against this building, okay? He knows he snuck into the city. He knows he shouldn't be there. And then watch what happens, okay? Watch what happens. Joshua 5, chapter 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he's just snuck into the city. Watch this. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with the sword in hand. How many know you're like, oh, shoot, I'm not supposed to be here, and now there's this dude standing with a sword in hand? Now, I don't know about you, but, like, I saw a man with sword. Zach would have ran, right? Watch what he does. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or are you foe? What is he saying? Because if you're friend, we're good. If you're foe, I'm going to kill you. That's what he's saying. If you're foe, we're about to fight. But neither one, he replied. Now watch what he says. No, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now, before we get on to, to, to really realize what's going on here, how many of you know you can say that Joshua is a man's man at this moment? He's going, oh, dude with sword, I'm in a place where I shouldn't be, let's fight. <laughs> I would have been like, I'm out, you know, like, go on. But what do we learn about Joshua in this moment that is so significant? When he goes up to this man with a sword, what do we learn about him? He is Chuck Norris, that's what we learn. <laughs> He's like, I will take you, that's not what we learn, but anyway. What does he say? Are you friend or are you foe? Now watch his response. No, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now keep in mind, this was just simply a yes or no question. Friend or foe, yes or no. But the commander makes it clear that Joshua is asking the wrong question. The commander of the Lord's army is saying, I'm not coming as friend, I'm coming to command your army. So let's read and then I'll explain what's going on. Joshua 5 uh, verse 14 through 15. And Joshua fell on his faith to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your servant's sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. Now, who is Joshua standing in front of? It's not an angel. There's not a single time in the New Testament or the Old Testament that we read when angels would appear that an angel would allow another creature to worship it. Actually, in Revelation uh, chapter 22, verse 9, we see that this happens. One of the disciples bows before an angel, and the angel says, get up, I'm a creature just like you. So this is what theologians would call a Christophany or an Old Testament pre-nativity appearance of God. This is Jesus in the flesh. This is God in the flesh meeting with Joshua. 
And Joshua, this is what I want you to understand. Jesus demands Joshua's surrender in that moment. Why does he do this? Because he wants him to understand that this is not a a battle that Joshua is going to fight with Jesus or for Jesus. This is a battle that Jesus is going to fight for Joshua. And we skip this part. But remember, they're about to go into a battle. So Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, here's what I want you to know. We skipped it in the text. But right before all these men are going into battle, God commands Joshua to circumcise every man. How many know you're not ready for battle once you've been circumcised? You're like, God, I'm a little injured right now, <laughs> right? I'm, not, I'm feeling a little under the weather. Like, I don't want to go into battle. So a few things are about to happen. The men are not ready to go to battle. God said, but you have to go to battle because I promised you this land. And Joshua now is standing before Jesus, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to fight this battle for you. So why is his army the weakest that it's ever been? But God is saying that you're going to go out and you're going to fight this battle. What is he trying to do in this moment? Jesus is trying to show Joshua that the safety and victory did not belong to Joshua. It was not about his leadership. It was not about how confident he was. It was not about how good he was. But God was saying, if you fully go back to the basics and you can remember who I am and what I've done for you in the past, then you'll realize that I truly will go out and fight this battle. Watch what he says. Joshua 6, verse 1 through 2. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out, but the Lord said to Joshua, watch this, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its warriors. Now after that moment, we won't read it for sake of time, but then Jesus gives Joshua the instructions of how he's going to fight this battle. So Joshua's going, all right, what are we going to do? We're going to charge from the east. We're going to charge from the west. We're going to send some people. We're going to surprise, surprise. How are we going to fight this battle? And then Jesus proceeds. Here's how you're going to fight the battle. You're not going to fight it with a sword. What what do you mean we're not going to fight it with a sword? Like we're warriors. That's that's what we do. God says, no, no, no. Put the ark in front of you, which represents the presence of God, and march around the city in silence. Er, Time out. You told us that we were going to fight a battle, and God's going, no, this is how I want you to fight. Go march around the city, and Joshua's like, God, like, I don't know if you've been watching, but for the past, like, hundreds of years, when people fight, they take swords. This is just what we do. And God begins to say, no, you'll march for six days in silence, and then on the seventh day, you're going to shout, and you're going to blow your trumpets. After you've done all that, God says, I'll take care of the rest. Now, don't lose how crazy this is. Because I think oftentimes when we read the Bible, we, we, we remove the human side of it. We just think that, oh, well, they, they, he just took God's instructions, then he went out. Remember, this is a leader who has to go back to his team. Their current leader, Moses, is dead. And Joshua has to go back to his people, and they're like, what did God say? And, he, and Joshua is just like, we're just going to fight a little bit different. <laughs> Imagine if this happened at a football game for a second. The coach says, time out, guys, we're losing. God just gave me a plan. Here's what you guys are going to do. You're going to stand in a circle, and you're going to sing Silent Night. People would be like, what, are you crazy? It's not how we play football, coach. Right? So this is what Joshua tells the men. He says, I want you to just go march around the city. I don't want you to speak a word. 
Now, this had to be hard for Joshua because he was a man who was in a position that was wanting to prove that he could lead these people. And his first task to lead his men into battle is having to trust God. A little caveat in this. Joshua never tells the people exactly what God told him. He doesn't say, we're going to march around for six days, and in the seven days the walls are going to fall down. He never tells them that. Joshua knows what's going to happen, but he just tells the people God said to march. So for all they know, they could be marching for days because the last experience they had that they spent 40 years in the desert. So they're walking around this city in silence. Why? I believe that God wants to prove that victory is not in our ability, but it's in our obedience. And our commitment to remain faithful even when we don't understand the process and the plan. God's saying, no, just keep trusting me. Keep walking around the wall. I'm the same God that freed you from slavery. I'm the same God when you struck the staff on the rock that water came out of it. So here's what happens. The people start walking around. Joshua 6, 18 through 19. God gives them more instructions. He says, don't take any of these things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. You will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Just remember that because it's going to be a a super important point in just a moment. God's saying when the walls fall down and you go in and you defeat all their armies, don't take anything for yourself. Remember that. Verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted it as loud as they could, And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men, women, young, and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. But watch what happens. So they get in, the walls fall down. God did what he said he was going to do. You ever been in this situation? God comes through for you. And then all of a sudden you walk in, you run in, and all of a sudden there's this man named Achan, and he sees some gold on the ground, and he remembers that God told him not to, to, to take any, but he's going, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to pay for my family, I don't know how I'm going to take my rent next month, so God, I'm just going to take this, it's not going to hurt anybody else. Although they've just seen the faithfulness of God literally just then and there, the walls just came down. What does Achan do? Watch this. He takes matters into his own hands. He breaks faith with God. He goes, have you ever had God faithfully come through for you, but then the next day you're still anxious and worried about what tomorrow's going to look like? This is what happens with Achan. So this crowd, this, this army is on a high. Nobody knows what Achan has done. This army is on a high. They've literally just defeated the most powerful army on earth, the most fortified city on earth. They've just defeated it. So they go further down into the promised land and they come up across a mountain and they see a little village down there and they go, oh wait, we're going to have to fight these people in order to take this land. Now, what are you doing if you've just defeated the most fortified world in the city? You're like, that little town, we got this, right? This is nothing. We'll wipe them out. This is where we read. Joshua 7, verse 2 through 5. Joshua sent spies from Jericho to Ai and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Don't have the entire army go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. For the people there are few. What are they saying? They're proud. They're like, we'll just, we'll destroy them. Don't worry about it, Joshua. Don't send the whole army. Watch this. So about 3,000 men went up, and they got their butts kicked so bad, they fled before the men of Ai. 
So the men of Ai completely obliterate Joshua's army. And the hearts of the people melted and became like water. They're going, wait, wait, what just happened? We just defeated the most fortified city in the world, and this little village destroys us. What's going on? What's going on is you had one man in the camp break faith with God. He violated Israel's posture of trust in God because God was trying to teach all the Israelites something, that although you've been in a season of uncertainty for years, I have never failed you. You've never gone hungry. You've never gone thirsty. I have always provided for you. Every time there's been an enemy that's attacked you, we've defeated it. Every time you came up against another sea, I split it open. So I think that there's three basic postures. I'm going to go through these quickly and I'll be done. I think there's three basic postures that God is trying to teach these people. Number one is surrender. If you want to fully know who God is, it starts with surrender. See, when Jesus visits Joshua in chapter 5, he makes it extremely clear. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm not here to fight alongside you. I'm not here to be another warrior. I'm here to command the army. How you see God and how he relates to your life is so important because here's the truth. Most of us view God as just an asset to our life. He's just someone who influences us. He's someone who guides us. He's someone who cares for us. He's someone who takes care of us in, in times of need. You ever see this after the end of like at the end of war, award shows? You have somebody who just wrote in the most horrific song in the world, and they're like, "I just want to thank God." <laughs> You're like, "What? This doesn't make any sense." Listen, here's what I want you to know: When Jesus came, and we have a full relationship with Him. He said, listen, I need everything, like full surrender. If you want to experience the fullness of who God is, it requires full surrender, meaning you can't have the things that you like and put aside the things that you don't. So if you invited me into your house and you said, hey, listen, Zach, um, Zach is welcome, but McCann is not. I'd be like, "Uh, first of all, I don't even know what you're saying. (laughs) Second of all, I'd be like, well, if you want Zach, like McCann, that's my last, that's, that's a part of who I am. You can't separate it. Like, you got to take the whole package, right? But tragically, this is what we do with the Lord a lot of times. We go, I want loving Jesus. I want helpful Jesus. I want save me Jesus. I want take me to heaven Jesus. But I don't want Lord Jesus. I don't want commanding Jesus. I don't want holy Jesus. And here's the truth. If that's the posture that we take, we don't get any of Jesus. Because Jesus says, not only have I come to save you, not only have I come to give you mercy, not only have I come to give you grace, but I've also come to be Lord. So that means that sometimes I'm going to ask you to walk into things that don't make sense. Sometimes you're going to walk into seasons and and you don't know what to do. You can't divide Jesus up like it's a salad bar. (laughs) I don't want the tomatoes. You get the whole package. Can I tell you something? The greatest threat to an authentic faith is religious activity. Meaning this, I want to look right before others, but inside I don't want to fully submit my heart to the Lord. And I'll tell you, it's something specifically in Louisiana that we struggle with. Because religion is a big thing here, right? 
And the truth is a lot of us do it to keep up appearances. A lot of us buy into religion and we say, I want to look good, but there's something inside that we know is truly missing. We're not fully surrendered. That's what Achan was. He said, it's not, it's not like I quit believing in God. It's just that I broke faith with God because I didn't believe that he would come through for me in that moment. You ever done that? You know that you believe in God, but just for a moment, you walk through a tough time and you go, how is this going to hurt anybody else? How is this going to hurt anybody else? So you start to justify certain things in your life. You, you justify a certain habit. You justify, you, you broke character and integrity, but you justify it. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are the areas in your life that you're making an excuse for? Because whatever those are, those are the things that God wants. And it requires full surrender. Maybe it's a habit that you feel that you can't live without. Maybe it's how you reproach relationships. Maybe you're just like, well, my dad was always angry and his grandpa was always angry and he always had outbursts of anger, therefore I'm always angry. No, it's called sin. You need to deal with it. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but I think a lot of times what we end up doing is we excuse our behavior based on all these things that have played out. And the truth is when God shows up onto the scene, he says, listen, I offer a way out of all of this, but it starts with full surrender. I love how C.S. Lewis paints this. He says that submitting to Jesus was like living in an old rickety house. And so there's a list of things in this house that, that don't work. And so Jesus comes in and he comes to fix it. And so you're looking at this house and you got some vision for it. You got a dream for it. And you think that Jesus just came to fix the leaks and level the floors and repair the roof. But then he starts ripping down a wall and you go, oh, I, I like that wall. Keep that wall. Don't, don't, don't take that wall out. And then he rips down the wall and then he reveals all this shiplap. Like, oh, okay, well, I didn't know that was behind there. I, I, lo- I like this wall. And then all of a sudden he, he, he comes in and he begins to tear out the carpet. You go, oh, why are you, why are you tearing out the carpet? Don't tear out the carpet, God. I like the carpet. And all of a sudden he tears it all out and there's these beautiful hardwood oak floors underneath the carpet. And then he starts tearing down entire sections of the house. And you go, hold on, this is not my plan. I did not hire you to come in and rearrange the whole thing. But the point C.S. Lewis is making is this. He's not just updating the house, he's building a new house. When Jesus comes in, he doesn't come in to repair the leaks. He comes in to start and create an entire new house. Now, why does he do this? Because he has to live there. Because he has to live there. This is the Holy Spirit literally dwells inside of men and women. And so when God shows up onto the scene, he says, I need full surrender because I got to live there. And then here's what most of us do. But God, I like my wall. (laughs) Just paint it. And so we want to cover it up with religious activity, meaning like I'll just go to church and I'll, I'll stay married, but I don't really like them and I don't really want to work on it. And Right? But God's going, but I got more for you than that. Let's rip out the wall and we can reveal something that you didn't even know was there. God has a better plan than the one that you have for yourself. And it starts with surrender. The second thing that we see in the story of Joshua it starts with surrender, but then it moves to courage. Because here's the thing. Most of us intellectually know that we need to surrender. But it takes courage to actually do it. So here's what we're really good at in religious circles. Oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. 
I know I need to do it. I know I need to fully give that over to God. But we don't have the courage to actually do so. Throughout the book of Joshua, the primary thing that derails obedience is fear. And in the book of Joshua, fear equals rebellion. Fear equals rebellion. But just for a moment, I want you to think about it like this. When you see and you hear the story of Jericho, what is God saying? What is the overarching narrative that he's trying to communicate to his people? The outcome is God's responsibility and faithful obedience is yours. Meaning God goes, I got the end game here. I'm leading you down a path and I know, I know it doesn't make sense. I know you don't like it. I know you don't understand. But our job in those moments is to be obedient. Endurance is, the courage, endurance is what courage looks like over the long haul. Courage is, is going forward even when you don't know what the next step is. But you know it's what God told you to do. Courage is going, man, I don't know. I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know what's before me. I don't know what this is going to look like. But I do know that God told me to go. And the question that we must answer today as I bring this to a close is where is fear keeping you from obedience? Because the most repeated command in the Bible is this, fear not. It says it 366 times in the scripture. That's one for each day and even for a leap year. (laughs) Third and final point is the faith to wait. How many know it's easy to have faith when God moves quickly? It's hard to have faith when he doesn't move so quickly. See, in Joshua, the people are ready to fight, but God was going, are you ready to wait? We're like, we're ready to fight. We're ready to enter in. God, let's go. We're going to defeat him. And God goes, wait. I don't like waiting. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I, I, I despise waiting. My wife, she like in situations like when I have to be patient, she's like, Zach, calm down, calm down. I'm like, I've been waiting here for a long time for this coffee. She's like, it's been 30 seconds. You know, I know, oh God, I'm not patient. I'm trying to work on it every day. But I'm reminded about two years ago, I was coming back from a very long trip. I was in Kenya. And coming back on this trip, it's a 26 hour flight home, Okay. You talk about, I mean, you, your eyes are bloodshot. You're trying, you, I can't sleep on a plane. I'm, just, I'm a zombie. 26-hour flight. We finally are about to land at the Atlanta airport, and I was going to sleep at a hotel that night, and all I could think about, you ever been on those long trips where you're like, my bed, a bed, a bed. I'm sitting in this, like, plane, and everybody's like this, and all I could think about was going to sleep. I was exhausted. And the pilot comes on, and he says, hey, we're going to have to circle for about five minutes. God, circle. Just land the plane, bro. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour of circling. Hour and 30 minutes, two hours. I can see, I'm like, I can see it. I can see my hotel. Give me a parachute. I'm about to jump. I can see it. Circling, circling. About two and a half hours, we finally land the plane. Whenever God calls somebody to do anything significant, there is going to be a season of circling. 
and you think that God doesn't know what he's doing. And you're going to have the same temptation that Achan did. I just want to speed up the process. God, just give me what's mine. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. But why does the pilot keep circling? Because he's in direct communication with the guy on ground control. If you land this plane now, you're going to crash it. There's not a free open runway for you. So, So what do you have to do when you're circling? You have to go back and you have to remember that God has been faithful. And even though I don't understand this whole process and what he's trying to do, I'm going to trust the creator. I'm going to trust that when I'm circling and when it doesn't make sense, that we're circling because if I land now, I'm going to collide with something that I don't need to collide with. Can I just be honest with you? The hardest faith of all is the faith to wait. It's not the faith of now. That's easy faith. It's easy. It's the time in your life when you can't see what God is doing. It's the time in your life when you don't understand and you don't get it. It's the circling of sickness. It's the circling of singleness. It's the circling of the loss of a job. It's the circling of the loss of a promotion. It's the circling of a how long is this season going to be? But can I tell you something? The city that stands in our way is not Jericho. It's the city of losing faith in a God that has always been faithful. That's the city that stands in our way. Listen, God promises in his scriptures that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That there is no height, no demon, no angel, no creature on earth that could ever separate you from the love of God. So here's what I want you to be confident in. Whatever season of circling you find yourself in now, maybe you see the promised land just like the children of Israel does. And then you you start stepping into what you feel like is your destiny. You're like, dude, seriously, another battle, God? I thought you were just going to give us the land. We've got to go fight Jericho. It's because that God is always trying to do something greater in us before he gives us what externally what we've been longing for. So by the time we get to the place that we really need to be and God wants us to be, that there is something that has taken place in us that's so deep that we know that God's with us. God wants you to have this unshakable confidence in knowing no matter what you face, no matter what you go through, that he's with you. The hardest faith is the faith to wait. So I just want to end with this. I'm encouraging you. I am begging you. And when you go through seasons of circling, Maybe like those guys walking around the city of Jericho, like, God, what's going on? What are you going to do? Imagine if they would have stopped at day six. They would have never got to day seven. They would have never defeated the army. They never would have got to the promised land. You've heard me say this before, but I wonder how many breakthroughs we haven't seen because we quit too early. I wonder how many seasons of God we haven't entered into because we didn't have the faith to wait. Wait. 